Welcome to the Unnamed Murder Podcast. Murder Podcast. Delightful. Lovely. How is everyone? We are sitting here in the Christmas spirit, drinking our hot chocolates, and we've got some clove on the diffuser, getting into the Christmassy kind of mood, It's feeling we? real Christmassy. I love it. It smells amazing. We've had our hot chocolate. Feeling real cosy in my coat. It was a good and fuzzy, comfy socks. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that. So, yeah, um, that. excellent. We thought we'd start things off with, like you did last time, with a you know fun little fact. I'm gonna do um, a little Quizlet. A little Quizlet. It's two. <laughs> you getting this mixed up? It's not two truths, one lie. It's two lies, one truth. Okay. Two lies, one truth. And one is correct. Two are imposters. And it's about strange UK crimes. Okay. Are you ready? Okay, yeah. It has nothing to do with salmon. Um, right. Okay. <laughs> um, right. Okay. Um, is It's illegal to carry a plank of wood along a pavement in London. Two. Okay. It's illegal to linger after a funeral. Three. It's illegal to put a stamp on a letter upside down. What do you think? So one's a truth and two are lies. Mm-hmm. I think the truth is the stamp okay why i feel like is it disrespectful for the queen to have her head upside down okay why why that one um i just want to know why do i think that that's why do i think that's disrespectful why not the other two okay well i guess like how do you even class lingering after a funeral what if i've got two funerals to go to (laughs) i'm not gonna leave the graveyard very unlucky i know but i am quite an unlucky person i'm not just gonna leave the graveyard and come back now wait there and i think that's fine Um, so yeah i don't believe that and what's it plank of wood down to carry a plank of wood along a pavement in london i don't know i feel like i've seen people carry a lot weirder than a plank of wood (laughs) yeah i feel like in london you can just like carry what you want Okay, so like a salmon. Not, like a salmon. You're like not, a salmon. Well, you're not allowed to handle a salmon suspiciously in London. Okay. Well, no, I'm going for I'm going for envelope. Okay. Well, okay. I've done you real dirty there. Right. They're all illegal. God, got you, didn't I? You lied. I lied. You lied. I lied. Okay. Um, it's actually illegal to do all three. It's treason to put a stamp on upside down on a letter. Treason. Okay, yeah, that's a bit harsh. Right, when I was younger, I was colouring in a penny um, because I, I guess I was bored. And my brother told me um, it was treason. I was going to go to prison. Colouring, <laughs> and I got really, really, like, I got really... Sad that I was going to get, like... I bet you were, like, scared for days. You were just, like, every time you heard a knock at the door, you were like, oh, my God, they know. I took the penny to the sink and I was, like, trying to wash all the (laughs) pen off. I was with a Sharpie as well, so it wouldn't come off. I was freaking out that I was going to go to prison. See, the thing is, though, when you get older, you're, like, you know that people are just, like, probably doing drugs using notes. So, (laughs) colouring the penny's probably not that that bad. That's true, yeah. Okay, well, what's the plank of wood? Why is that illegal? In case you, like... It's batter someone with it's it. It's only legal if it's coming out of a van. So you like right. you can park your van, take a plank of wood out, and take it from the van to the place you're going to deliver it to. But you can't just like walk around with a plank of wood. So what? Well, because it's seen as a weapon. Well, your weekend plans are ruined. I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, fair enough then. And then what was the oh lingering um, at a funeral? Linger after a funeral. Why? It seems threatening. I don't know. <laughs> Okay, all right, fine. I mm. guess you'll have to like go for a Starbies between funerals, then, yeah. won't you? <laughs> I'd be very lucky if they're in exactly the same graveyard, though, wouldn't it? Uh, no, I don't leave. I don't leave. Well, actually, much. 
not lucky, that's almost the opposite. I'm yeah, lucky. it would yeah. almost be unlucky. Yeah, I would going say. To two funerals at the same time. Anyway, um, we hope you enjoyed that little quizlet. Um, I really did a. She humiliated me, guys. I'd have to get that. Yeah, well, it's your turn next week. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. I've got something cooking for you. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's get straight into talking about well, part two, basically, of the episode about White House White House farm murders. Yes. So this week we'll be basically looking at it from the perspective that Sheila didn't do it. Mm -hmm. Um, So the evidence that suggests it was um, Jeremy Bamber. Yeah. And um, I have got my notebook in front of me, guys. So if you hear paper rustling, I don't want to hear a word about it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I've got lots of notes to look at. Why do we think Jeremy did it? I guess the main factor people would look at would be that the two shots that Sheila... This was a semi-automatic weapon. This wasn't like a machine gun where, you know, you hold the trigger down and it's like shot after shot after shot. You had to, you know, like properly let go of the trigger to then do it again. So this isn't like she's holding it down and oops, you know, two bullets go into her. She had to pull it, yeah, let go, pull again. So, yeah, even more kind of unlikely. Yeah, that doesn't it's... sound like it doesn't something sound like one somebody... would want to do. No, somebody doing it to themselves. And also the theory about the silencer as well. We can talk a little bit about that. Like, Yes, that that was found in the cupboard with what what was potentially Sheila's blood yeah. spatter on it, which obviously she wouldn't have been able to shoot herself once to get the blood on it, go back to the cupboard, put it in the cupboard, and then go back and do the second shot. It's just really unlikely. And also, to that end, if she had gone you know, like shot herself and then gone downstairs to put the silencer away. We know that the kitchen was a right mess and that there was like sugar on the floor and... Broken crockery. Broken crockery. So they actually noted that they didn't find anything on Sheila's feet or hands. So she was clean. So not only did she not have anything on her feet to indicate basically that she walked anywhere downstairs where it was messy, she also didn't have any of like the... So basically when you fire a gun, apparently you get like kind of like, I guess like gunpowder, you would get that on your hands. Yes. Um, and there was none. Yeah, and under your nails as well. And didn't and they so- say none of her nails were broken, were they? And they thought with the effort it would take to shoot the gun, it probably would break your nails and hers were all perfectly intact. Yeah. She had, like, all of her nails were intact, her hands were clean. And they kind of used that in Jeremy's defence as, like, a ritualistic cleansing thing. But it's just unlikely. What, shot herself, then washed herself, and then shot herself again after taking the silencer off and taking it downstairs? Oh, sorry, washed herself after doing all of that, and then shot yourself again. Okay, so... I mean, no. Yes, and she was also thought not to be particularly skilled with a gun. Like, I think she'd maybe tried it using one once on one of the hunting trips, but she wasn't an expert by any means. And I remember reading in the White House Farm book that she had actually at one point done a photo shoot where she had to hold a gun, and I think loads of, like, pheasants as well like in this photo shoot it was like a hunting photo shoot I don't know not for me but apparently the photographer said this was someone who looked like they didn't really know how to handle a gun at all from the way she was holding it yeah so she was certainly not an expert with with the gun to be able to obviously cause all that damage to her family and then to be able to do that to herself yeah and also all of these shots hit their target there were no shots that missed and went went into a wall or a you know floorboard or anything and wasn't the shot to june bamba right in her head as well it was like 
Yes, it was, her eyebrows. Yeah, it was like perfectly targeted. Yeah, so this is obviously somebody who has had quite a lot of experience with a gun. And it doesn't sound like Sheila had that no. much experience with a gun. So and it's just... It's just suspicious is all. And also about, which I think we previously mentioned about the medication she was on, which she, she didn't really like that much. It also made her quite, didn't it make her quite drowsy and quite weak? Not weak, what's the word? Like Yeah, just kind of out of it. Like we were yeah. saying in the previous episode, Colin Cavell wrote in his book that the journey to White House Farm with the boys and Sheila in the car, and he was talking to the boys and he would like turn to look at her and talk to her. And it just seemed like she was in a daze. So... How long did that last? You know, obviously that's a couple of days later, but these are very powerful tranquilizers. We don't know how long this effect is lasting. Was she taking them day on, like, day by day? I think she was getting injections by, like, yeah. from a doctor, but I'm not sure whether she was taking additional medication while she was at the farm. So I don't know what how long these effects lasted, but... It seems like if you're on quite intense medication, it would be very difficult to, you know, aim your gun at all of your targets, to, to carry that gun around. Like, it's not small, is it? No. Like, to carry that around, to be able to... And she had to reload it twice. Yeah, so that's another thing. So she was wearing a nightdress with no pockets. So she would have had to... So it's a um, a rifle that carries 10 rounds, and there were 25 rounds expelled from the gun. So, which means that... If it was fully loaded, like Jeremy said it was when he left the house, she would have had to reload it at least twice. So how was she doing that? Was she, like, doing it and then running downstairs, reloading it, coming back upstairs, doing, like, killing another person? What are these people do? Like, what are her family members doing? Are they not trying to talk to her or, like, running out of the house? Or it's it's all the idea that this must have happened I don't know, a short time frame doesn't make sense to me. Yes, I completely see what you mean. And putting the rounds in the magazine as well. So obviously the 10 rounds fit in the magazine. This is what um, one of the like ballistics experts was saying was that it's quite easy to get like rounds one to eight in, but the ninth is quite hard and the 10th is even harder. Like he was, he was a fully grown man was trying to put the 10th in and even he was struggling. He was like kind of shaking, trying to put it in. And obviously she had these very well manicured red nails. If she was trying to do that, not only was she quite slight, it would probably be quite difficult for her to do that. She would have definitely broken a nail or like not even been able to do it, I think. Yes. So even more unlikely. Yeah, and there was the argument that Neville Bamba, you know, he was he was very tall and he was quite physically fit. Yeah. That if, let's say, she's having to stop to reload this gun, you'd think there was a potential time there yeah. that he may, potentially would be able to at least cause... Because she didn't have any injuries, she did she? Apart any... from the shots, yeah. you'd have thought there would have been at least... Like, if he'd have attempted to get the gun off her, which yeah, like defensive would, wounds, there'd be defensive wounds, which there wasn't. There, there wasn't any defensive wounds, which made it unlikely. Yeah, and it was strange as well because Neville had burn marks on his back as well, and lacerations and bruising from this blunt force, like blunt force trauma from a blunt weapon. So, how was she able to overcome her dad with all of those injuries? Like, not yeah. not just the like beating, but also the burning as well. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. No. It's, and without a mark on her, I mean, yes. it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it it definitely, it definitely... Yeah, There's but, some unanswered questions, let's put it that way. Yeah, so I've got here, her hands were clean and free of dirt, blood and powder, or rifle ammunition lubricant. So that's the thing. So if you were, that's what I wanted to say earlier. So if you were going to be loading these rounds into a magazine, you would get this lubricant on your hands. Yes. That, you, you know, you would definitely find afterwards. So, and she didn't have any of that. So, I mean, is it likely that she had and then washed her hands no because you know she probably would have marks on her hands of 
doing all of that, like broken a nail or something, because it wasn't easy to do. There was no signs of firearm discharge residue on her body either. So again, like when you shoot a gun, it's not like you can put the gun down and there's no evidence that you've ever shot a gun. Like you get stuff all out, like on your hands, like especially a rifle like that. I imagine that, you know, it would like smell of gunpowder or something yes. like that, but there was nothing like There'd that. There'd be marks. There'd be suggestions that you had helped yeah. dad. And there wasn't. Definitely suspicious. Definitely suspicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, suspicious. Um, let's talk also about Jeremy. Yes. As a person. Yes. There was some sort of <laughs> undesirable um qualities, I think. People had <laughs> That's people <mentioned>. nicely. <laughs> I'm I'm a very polite person, <laughs> so you know this. <laughs> Diplomatic to the core. Jeremy Bamber was not nice. <laughs> well, yeah, there was um because in the in the book I was reading, it mentioned like his previous um, school headmaster had said that he had not had the best relationships with other people at the school, mm. like that he did come across as quite arrogant, and there was also. Another story that I read where he, he fell out with some friends because he, it was, it was to do with like dangerous driving. I think he oh. was pretending to tendencies, if yeah. you see what I mean. I see what you mean. So also, um, talking about boarding school as well, what was his friend's name? Who was, he's from New Zealand. What was his name? Oh, I can't remember the top of my head. I know exactly no, what you mean. I, I can't find where I've written it down. I feel like I want to say Jed and it isn't. He, okay. His best friend from New Zealand. Yeah. I, I can't believe I've forgotten his name, but he and Colin Cavell both. Yeah testify that Jeremy confessed to him that he was sexually assaulted at boarding school. So mm. knowing what we know about serial killers, if you want to group them all together and tile them all with the same brush or whatever, there is a, um, quite often a history of them being sexually abused at a young age um, that I'm not saying leads to them doing this delinquent behaviour, but it certainly must be a factor in why they maybe sought something so extreme rather than a normal life. Well, it affects your relationships, doesn't it? And the way you... Yeah, and trust. The way you trust and the way you, yeah, see people. If you don't trust people, I guess, you maybe do look at them in a more non... Like, a non-human way. Like, these are people that are just stopping me from getting to my goal. If, for example, like, you know, he wanted the inheritance. Yeah, maybe he he was filled with a bit of resentment from that. So, yeah... Um, but also because if that happened at boarding school mm. and your parents are the ones that have sent you to boarding school yeah there is going to be yeah then there's a direct kind of correlation what this happened because of you so i'm obviously not saying that everybody who has had that kind of um past is gonna go forth and do those kinds of things i'm just saying it's part of jeremy's past that maybe could paint a picture as to why he acted the way he did as an adult Yes. Because we know he obviously moved to um, Australia for a bit and he was doing some bartending. He basically lived quite, you know, the life of a bit of a bachelor. He did... A bit of a hedonistic lifestyle. He really lived lived a hedonistic lifestyle. He did whatever he wanted to do. And obviously he was quite well off and June and Neville wanted to give their children quite a good life. Yes, so of course. So they, they didn't really want for anything, I think. Yeah, they got what they wanted. They got what they wanted. So they were living quite comfortably and Jeremy had enough financial standing to to live that lifestyle so whatever he wanted to do whether it be good or bad was kind of open to him yes yeah yeah and And there was also um julie mugford the Mm. his his girlfriend at the time had said that they had previously also um robbed the campsite yeah the ozy um caravan park which his family owned yeah 
Yes, so there is sort of past, not that I'm saying stealing obviously means that you'll later go on to commit violent crimes, but there obviously has been um, sort of a past of, you know, going for what you want mm. and not really respecting the, your, your family, just taking what you want from them. So there is an element of that. Well, they say, what's it called? It's like a, um, a gateway crime, isn't it, theft? It's, it's like something that children would get into and later do worse things. So maybe maybe that kind of theft was his gateway crime could be it's quite a big it's, jump i know but it's it's the weed of crime it's the weed it? of crime what theft yeah, yeah. <laughs> what if you stole some weed yeah oh well there you go <laughs> um no it's just money so thinking about his arrogance then as you were saying if you see the video footage of the funeral all you see is kind of like it looks forced it looks like he's forcing himself to cry, falling over Julie at the funeral. It looks kind of fake. And then he is apparently seen in the hearse after the funeral and at the wake, like smiling and laughing. It's just quite erratic behaviour, which kind of harks back to the Chris, Chris Watts case of like this strange, like performing strange behaviour for what you think people want to see. And I don't know whether he had maybe some kind of issues with communication, but it didn't look like somebody who was mourning their family, like smiling and laughing. I, I, I you know, you could say like, okay, people, you know, deal with grief and com- like completely different See, that ways. is what I'm thinking. I do, I do think that there's an element of how people deal with grief. Yeah. Like, like so you- I guess for me, I don't take, I, I see what you're saying. I don't take much from that because I do think in the terms of how people deal with grief. Yeah. I do think people deal in really weird ways but but to like paint a picture of somebody who wanted their family dead it doesn't help him yes uh, yeah i see what you mean i do see what you mean and apparently he had said to one of his family members i think it might have been an uncle he actually said i could kill my family and didn't he say oh what we saying in the last episode that he had thought about setting the house on fire was that what you said Julie Mugford said that, yeah. that he had said he was going to set the house on fire and that he wanted her to get some um, like drugs from the doctor to make yeah, his family fall asleep it. so he could set him fire to the house. And yeah, and she did get the she did get the drugs. So yeah, assuming that she's telling the truth, obviously that is a big indication. Of, and, and definitely, I suppose there is the motive there with the inheritance. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest motivators, isn't it, for for murder money? Yeah. And. Um... Yeah, so so talking about that then, talking about motive, uh, he was probably the one who had the most to gain from his family not being in his life anymore. He, you know, they were all out of his way. He could get on with his lifestyle that he wanted to live without any problems and, you know, inherit a nice estate and some money from that. So Yeah, yeah there's, there certainly <laughs> is a motive there. Yeah, definitely. Um, and if you do want to live, like, quite a hedonistic lifestyle, have whatever you want when you want it. And if, you, if you're brought up used to that, I suppose you will do what you want to carry that on. Mm. So you were talking a bit about Julie Mugford. So I think one of the most um, damning things against him is obviously her testimony. Her testimony, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So maybe we should talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I suppose, because the thing I've always been a bit, confused about with Julie Mugford is why it took her so long to go to the police to revise the statement but she could have been scared it yeah. could be that you you're worried that this person will harm you if you if you say anything and if, if you truly believe they've you know annihilated their entire family mm. then it wouldn't be a shock for them to do the same to you so I suppose it could be the fear Jeremy told Julie as well that because he told her about it this is what she said that he because he told me about what he was going to do and I didn't tell the police he told me that I was going to go to prison with him like go go as well so 
you would be really I scared. Mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'd be you'd be scared that you were going to go to prison. So understandable. Yeah, of course. And I mean, I think I don't know. Yeah. What? <laughs> no, I was going to say. I mean, I think if you knew, you'd going to said something. But that's just my opinion on that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can see why that definitely would be a a fear. Yeah. Yeah, so she has a lot to say about their relationship and yes. how he acted towards the end and how he was being quite kind of flippant and throwaway with their relationship and quite flirty at parties and, like, taking calls from other women. And, you know, again, it, it all adds to this kind of lifestyle of this, you know, this hedonist and Epicurean that just wants what they want and anybody gets in their way is kind of... And that's what his family was. They were just in his way. In his so way. she also said in her testimony that he actually before like the night he was like talking about how he's gonna plan it he was saying quote oh get rid of them all and like talk to her in detail about how he would do it and knew all the details of what was going to happen that night and i found it quite interesting that she gave the um what did she say that it was it was a plumber wasn't it that was paid oh she said that he was like the contract killer yeah and he was just a plumber yeah Yeah. Uh, that interests me why first of all she either wouldn't say he did do it or didn't do it why introduce this third thing? I wonder if Jeremy did tell her that to try and like throw her off or to see if she was going to like t- go to the police and tell them yeah. this fake story and find out that actually that guy had an alibi. Because yeah. that would be quite interesting. Like, can I trust this person? I'm going to tell her a fake story. Yeah. I remember that guy on the dramatisation and the, the plumber yeah. guy was just like, no, I didn't. I didn't do I it. Really <laughs> I felt so bad. He was, was like, no. He was out with his like girlfriend or something. Yeah. Like, he was just like, I was, I was out. Was like, like, yeah, I definitely didn't murder, murder someone. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't murder five people. So <laughs> can you just not? Yeah. Apparently also Jeremy had said to others that Sheila would make a good scapegoat. So you know, staging the suicide in the house as well, making it look like she had killed everybody and then killed herself. It kind of played in his favour a little bit that she was mentally ill and she had a history of... um, Perhaps that she'd also, because she had obviously spoken to the social workers previously, saying she was worried she might harm her children. So I guess if that's something that she's then mentioned to Jeremy, that is something that you could you know play on you or play on yeah you yeah. Could definitely say well you know she wasn't well she was on quite strong medication and she told everybody that she was going to do it for so it must be her something like that you know also I want to talk a little bit about the kitchen window so in the documentary you can see it a little bit obviously more clearly that there's a certain way to get in and out of the house without making it look like forced entry yeah from this latch on a window that you can kind of prop up pull really hard from the outside and it kind of drops down so i mean who else would know about that other than jezza himself (laughs) somebody's lived there yeah Yeah. i know what you mean it it does seem like something that you would know like you know you always have those things in your house that just like only you know about yeah like you know i don't know like a little secret not a secret hatch or anything yeah the basement the secret basement that we have yeah the bunker in the garden no just like a little quirk about the house yeah you're like don't tread on that like bit of the floorboard because it's going to make that noise and it's just something that only people yeah who live there know it is a bit like one of those wonder if there was a way that he could have like crept around the house not making much noise because he knew exactly where the creaky floorboards were and yeah so that's the thing okay so the boys didn't move and June only moved from the bed to just in front of the bed yeah so this person must have done this very very quickly yeah so maybe it wasn't somebody they expected to be a threat yes yeah Mm. interesting i was listening to another podcast actually about this case and not to steal but apparently in his childhood he was quite nasty to his mum to june 
Um, okay. And they had quite a strange relationship as well. So we obviously, we've talked a lot about the relationship between Sheila and June. Yes. But apparently Jeremy was not very nice to his mum and kind of didn't respect her authority and kind of played on her, her worries and insecurities. Yeah. And apparently once played on her fear of rodents by putting some rats in his pockets and telling his mum to put her hand in there. Which is just, like, a horrible thing for a little boy to do anyway. I mean, you know, little boys are horrible, let's face it. Yeah, they are. They are. When they're young, they are. They grow up, you know, most of the time to be, like... Slightly less horrible. Slightly less horrible. (laughs) But little boys are horrible. But, yeah, there was definitely some kind of delinquent behaviour from a young age, I think. Um, I'm sorry, I've just got the image of someone (laughs) having rats in their pockets. Just like, like, you can put your hand in there. It's like, Like, what's in there? No, I don't mind. Don't worry about it. Put your hand in there. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine? Because that's just like one of the last things I would expect would be a rat. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. And now I can't. Did he fit in the pockets as well? <laughs> that is the que- These are the questions that I want to be answered. Yeah. How many rats, how were, many in rats the were there? And in how many pockets? Yeah. You I had mean. 10 pockets, two rats in. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. That's a lot of rat finding. Yeah. That's a joke, by the way, unless it's true. Well, didn't he practice? Oh, here's another thing against him. So apparently he practiced before the murder murders, killing some rats with his bare hands to see if he could murder those poor rats. So obviously they've got a rat infestation at this farm. Yeah, there's a lot of rats is what I'm uh, getting from this. I feel like I've learned something new. Yeah. My cat's coming. She's heard the word rats. And yeah. I think she's getting, she's getting excited. <laughs> oh, no, she's off. She's realised there's none here. <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> Sorry, there's so many rat-based facts this episode that my mind has kind of gone. Just, it's filled with rats, At guys. least two rat-based facts. Also, there's something I've noted that at... So, the day before, apparently, around 10, 8, 10, sorry, 10 p.m., he told... He was speaking to Julie on the phone, and he was kind of, you know, he was doing his planning for the day, and he was there. Maybe he was there scoping everything out and, like, setting things up. He placed the gun, didn't he? He placed the rifle in the kitchen ready because he was going to shoot some rabbits that he heard in the... In not the... rats. No, not rats. More <laughs> to rabbits. So right. not only have they got rabbits, they've got rats too. Okay. Okay. So he's got the rifle ready. He's... The rifle oh, ready for the rats and rabbits. The rifle ready for the rats and rabbits to eradicate the rats and rabbits. <laughs> so he's put the rifle down. Oops, left it there by accident. Was it by accident or was he getting the scene ready yeah, I know what you mean. It does It does seem like it's quite easy to have it ready. You're like, okay, I know where that is. It's It's all loaded with a magazine full of rounds. And apparently just before he left, about 10 to 10, he was speaking to Julie and he said, quote unquote, it was tonight or never. So she actually gives quite a lot of quotes of things that he said during that day and like quite a lot of detail about things that he said. So, I mean, you could make those things up, but... There's maybe that there's some details there that yeah. only the person who was involved might have known. No, like, I see. I see what you mean. I'm gonna be honest, guys. I find it hard to trust Julie, but I'm 100%. trying. I'm trying to keep an open mind, but I do see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to see from both sides as well because, like, like we said. Oh, we sorry. Suzzy's being noisy. Stop it. Stop. It. <laughs> oh, <God>. You'll do. <laughs> She's scratching the chair. You'll just have to ignore her. Okay. Come on. There we go. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's all that talk of rats. It is. It's all the talk of rats. Yeah, so apparently he, you know, had a lot to say to Julie about things he was going to do. But like you say, we don't really know how, you know, reliable her testimony is, but it's kind of what we have to go off. Yes. And the judge in the court case actually told the jury to use her testimony of, or like character reference of Jeremy as their main pillar 
for the... No, so like I was saying before, you know, the cat came in. um, (laughs) um, We we don't know. It's just one of these cases where we don't know either way. Yes, it's true. Yeah. Well, I was going to talk about one of my favourite things that the murderers do, which is the slow driving. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that, yeah. Because, yeah, like, similar to Diane Downs, Diane Downs, there was also reports that Jeremy once had phoned the police to let them know but not, about... But not 999, the local police station. Whitton. <laughs> you know Whitton Police Station? Go on, the, the quickest police station in the town. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so not 999, guys, not an emergency... Nah, we'll just give Whitam a call, see what they see what they want to do. And um but yeah, when they dispatched the vehicle Eventually. Eventually. Jeremy got there a lot later even though he was three nearer. miles. Yeah, he was he was a lot nearer and again, what is it with the slow driving? Yeah, it's very suspicious. It is. I feel like and you need to get somewhere fast. That's how you should drive. You know if you think people like, are in danger. I know what that's like very much so, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's just all of it's very suspicious. Yes. It there there is a lot of unanswered questions. A lot of unanswered questions, yeah. So, yes. So there was the fact that after he had the call from Neville, the fact that he rang Julie before yeah. he rang the police... That's that's very odd. ...is quite odd. Like, you'd think the first thing you'd be doing is ringing 999. So it is a bit and, unusual. And knowing that really not very many people had... Well, even now, not many people have guns. Like, no, th- this is a country where you only have gun a gun if you have a license for it. So, knowing that somebody has a gun is, I think, warrants an emergency. Oh, I agree. It's not the case where oh, somebody's just looking at the gun. Um, it's okay, you know, we do this all the time. Like maybe they did, but wouldn't you think it would be enough to like warrant an emergency? Oh, it would for me. I think so. Maybe, I think so. Maybe it didn't for him, but. It's enough to call 999, surely. I, I think it is. I think it is. But he chose not to for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. So that is, I do think, a bit suspicious. There's also the argument that, obviously, he says that Neville rang him. But we know with Neville's injuries, like, there were multiple injuries to his face, wasn't mm. there? So it would be quite hard to call him and have this discussion when he's been quite badly injured. Yeah. And... There's some loose ends. And also, when they were going through the trial, it was actually noted that there was no evidence that a call was made from Neville to Jeremy. There was no evidence of that. So they were unable to find that a call was connected. They were unable to... like That wasn't recorded, like, anywhere. Yes. So... Again, adds to the suspicion. Did did Neville call Jeremy? Did he just make it seem like that? Was there more than one person involved? Did Jeremy orchestrate this um, from afar? Yeah. There's lots of theories, but what do you think? Do you think he did it? Do you think he was part of it? Who knows? Who knows, guys? What What are your What are your opinions? We'd like to know. On the matter? We would like to know because I'm very confused, and I w- I would love to hear what people think. We're just stating the facts. It's up to you. It's up to you. The yeah, detectives. You decide. <laughs> yeah. So that is it for the White House file murders, unless you have anything else to add. I do not. Uh, I have one more thing to add. In in the local newspaper, the Malden and Burnham Standard, um, there was... Uh, it's like the New York Times. It, it, it's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's got the same amount of readers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the same amount of readers as this podcast. The Malden B. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, apparently there are... There's such a following for his exoneration that 
is it something like 6,000 people have signed yeah. the petition yeah. to release some new evidence that apparently was not used in the case to in his defence. Yeah. So we will see how that goes. That would be really interesting for somebody who apparently was never going to be released from prison or be it like allowed parole to suddenly... I, I agree. I, very interesting. I find this case so interesting. It's one that I'm definitely like following and want to hear, like, hear more about and yeah. see. Yeah. I, Cause, I would... cause can you imagine if you've been in prison since what, 19... Isn't it, like, isn't it 36 years? Something like that, right. And then to one, like, we find out one day Jeremy Bamber is innocent. Yeah. Like, oh, it, oh. I just don't know. I, I just know. don't know. I know. Anyway, you'll ha- you'll just have to. We wait. might do an update um, yeah. episode if there's more. Uh, if, if we hear, stay any- tuned. don't worry. Yeah. If we hear anything more, we'll let you know. We'll let you know, guys, <laughs> right away. Yeah. You're our first port of call. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think that's it for this week's episode. It is. Hope you've enjoyed, and stay tuned for next week. <laughs>